This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We turn in God's Word this evening to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. This is the inspired Word of God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. In the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, 
and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the, of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word on the basis of that portion of Scripture, as well as on the basis of many other parts of Holy Scripture, we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 9. In Lord's Day 9, the Heidelberg Catechism is explaining what we believe or who we believe, that is God, and now in particular, God, the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. What believest thou when thou sayest, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth? That the Eternal Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by His eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ His Son, my God and my Father, on whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt but He will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body. And further, that He will make whatever evils He sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage, for He is able to do it, being Almighty God, and willing, being a faithful Father. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Apostles' Creed, we considered last week how we confess our faith in God. We saw last week when we say, I believe in God, we confess first to believe in God who is triune. And this God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one being. We believe in this God and this God alone. There is no other. Today, we consider as the Catechism leads us to it, that we believe in this God who is the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, the Creator, and we say about this God too, who is triune, but now the Creator, that He is the only God, the only true God, and there is no other. The Creator God. Notice, people of God, the first work that we confess in the Apostles' Creed is creation. The first work of God that He recorded in the inspired Scripture is creation. God's identity as He reveals Himself to us is that He is Creator, the Almighty Maker, the Father who brought forth all that there is in creation. This is the God we believe. And yet most in the church world of today, and most people even in Reformed churches of today, Reformed churches by name, confess instead, I believe in God the Father, evolver of the heavens and the earth. Now they may speak, they may say, they may give lip service with their mouth and confess with us, I believe in God as the Creator, but in their smug hearts they are saying, well, well, now we're smart enough today to know that the story of Genesis 1 is merely a poetic or a semi-poetic framework to teach the primitive people of Bible times that God is the Creator, but now in our modern and scientific, scientifically advanced age, we know better. And we mean by Creator really the great evolver. 
And the first work of God is denied. The first most basic and fundamental doctrine that teaches us the identity of who God is as the Creator is denied. Regarding regarding God's work as unscientific and unintelligent, foolish men imagine themselves wiser than God. That is what is happening Wiser than the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who shows us who this God is. And they deny who He is as Creator. Beloved people of God, I take aim unabashedly at the errors of today of evolution and theistic evolution prevalent in so-called Christianity of today. And I do so not to make you proud in your own conceits that you are holier than others in that you hold to the truth of creation. You wouldn't believe in God the Father, Creator, if He does not in His grace reveal this to you and make you convicted of this. But I do so to impress upon you the great importance of holding firm to this truth of who God is as the Creator, and to warn you never to compromise an inch in the least bit with those who deny this truth. I urge you not to think that I am beating a dead horse. The horse, so to speak, is alive, and it's running, and it's spreading through the world. Most Christians not only, but professors and pastors of the conservative and reformed seminaries and churches of today teach theistic evolution, or they at least allow it in their churches as an option to believe. It's getting into our Christian schools and to the Christian colleges around you. You young people face it in all your science classes. It is not a harmless thing. It is not a weak doctrine. Rather, it is, as the Scripture calls false doctrine, the doctrine of devils. It was made up, invented by Darwin and others who weren't neutral to Christianity, but who were enemies of the Christian faith and the God of Christianity. It is anti-Christian. It is anti-God. That's how serious this false doctrine is of evolution and theistic evolution. And it's not science. It's, as Scripture calls it, science falsely so-called, 1 Timothy 6.20. Many men may have credentials and letters behind their name, but when they call it science, it is not science, but rather guesswork, hypotheses, theories, And it leads, as we see this evening, to a denial not only of the first chapter of the Bible, but to a denial of every single doctrine of Scripture. I ask you to consider positively and also negatively against false doctrine the teaching of this Lord's Day and of God's Word under the theme, Believing God, the Almighty Maker. First, creation truth. Second, creation power. 
or the power of God is revealed in creation. And finally, the Creator believed. Here's the truth that you must believe. It's the truth that you must believe and be astounded by. It needs to strike you with awe again. Whether you're a child hearing this for the first time, or the people of God who have heard this and read this again and again in God's Word, this creation account should be impressed upon you and must excite you into the praise and honor of this God. What a miracle. What a wonder. How great is our God, the Almighty Maker. The inspired record here in Genesis 1 begins with a God as an eternal God. This Creator is an eternal God. That's, the, that's in the first words, in the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Not at the beginning of God, for God has no beginning. But rather, God was before the beginning. And in the beginning of creation, that is, God had already been there from eternity. The first verse of the Bible presupposes an eternal God. And that's part of the teaching of the Lord's Day in Lord's Day 9. It starts out with that phrase. The eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord's Day speaks of the eternal Father there, and when the Heidelberg Catechism or when, when the Scripture, the Bible, in verse 1 of Genesis 1, speaks of God, eternal Father, and God refer to the triune God. Father is most prominent in creation, as we said last week, but Spirit and Son are involved. This God, Father, eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, had already been there before He created now, a brief application. Scientists today, if you will only notice what they are doing, seek to make the creation, and especially man at its center, God. It, is, it used to be said that the earth was millions of years old. Then it has been said that the earth is billions of years old. Now they are up to 13.8 billion years for the universe and 4.5 billion years for the earth itself, planet earth. What are they doing? As they increase that number, year by year, exponentially even, they seek to make matter and man eternal. And God says in Genesis 1, contradicting all their claims and theories, no, no, I am God. I am the only eternal one. The creation had a beginning and not so long ago. In the beginning, 
God. No space, no time, but God. And then He created, we read. The eternal God created time, the first moment. He created space. He didn't need time and space before He created. He created the heavens and the earth. Now notice that word create. It's an important word in the Hebrew. There are other words in the Hebrew language for making or forming. We considered one this morning. We read in Jeremiah chapter 1 that God, before I formed thee, knew thee, he said to Jeremiah. The word formed there refers to God taking something like a potter does, something that already was there, and making something out of that something. That's what he does in the womb. That's not the word used here in Genesis 1 verse 1, but rather the word create here refers to bringing something into existence. That's how it's used here. And the catechism explains what God does there in Genesis 1 verse 1. Who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them. That's stunning. Nothing. Can you even imagine that? Only God. What is nothing? No air, no space, no time. And out of nothing, He spoke into existence the heavens and the earth. What He had in His counsel, in His eternal mind, every detail He brought forth into being. In that beginning, at that first instance of time and space in the forming of the heavens and the earth, what that verse 1 refers to in the heavens and the earth, I explained to the catechism students this way. That at that first instant, on that first day, there was what we may view as a big black blob. Verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. All of the universe, the heavens and the earth, began in that first instant as a dark, watery mass. A large, dark, watery mass. And then God, this eternal God, worked within that dark and watery mass to create everything. Let us humble ourselves as children with a childlike faith and meditate on that. That on the first day He spoke, let there be light. And instantaneously, in that dark, formless, watery mass, it pierced light as there had not been on earth before. I unashamedly say to the evolutionist who thinks there's a problem here when he points to the fourth day and says, well, light has, 
has its source in the sun, moon, and stars. How can there be light? First, before the sun, moon, and stars, I unashamedly say, the sun, moon, and stars are not the first source of light. But God is the source of light. He doesn't need the sun, moon, and stars for light. At His Word, mysterious with mysterious power, which scientists cannot understand, He caused the light to penetrate through the darkness for 12 hours or so. And He called that day. And then caused the light to recede for 12 hours or so. And called that night. And then though He could have created everything else on that first day, in fact, He could have created everything in an instant, in His wisdom He chose not to. But waited until the second day. And on that second day, He spoke His Word, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. So that within this watery mass, now with light, God formed the firmament that is the sky, which included the air we breathe, the oxygen, the gases. He formed the sky where, where the sun, moon, and stars would be, though they were not yet formed. And He formed the earth's atmosphere and beyond, outer space as we know it, the heavens. And that was the end of the second day. And on the third day He spoke, dry land. And there appeared within this watery mass a ground, earth, sand, and dirt which heaved upward out of the waters to form a beach, to form a plateau to form hills, to form mountains. And upon those, upon that dry ground, He formed mature plants with seed in them. Grass, the herb yielding seed, verse 11, the fruit tree yielding fruit. And that was the third day. And on the fourth day, God spoke lights, plural, in the firmament. It is the bodies of light which will be secondary sources of light. The sun to rule by day, the moon to rule by night. And it was so. And all the stars, and the planets, and the galaxies beyond as well must have been included on that fourth day. On the fifth day, God spoke. Living creatures of water and sky and creatures of all kinds came into existence. Out of the water, we read, the fish of every shade and color, of every size, the creatures that would wave stationary in its place in the oceans, and also the creatures that would dart in and out and travel great distances through the waters. Whales, sharks, and then bursting out of the waters, birds of every, every kind, of every feather, squawking and singing and filling the silent sky with life. And then on the sixth day, He spoke. Beasts of the earth, and out of the ground that is out of the dirt, out of the dust came life. The land animals came into existence, 
full-grown animals, lions, bears, cows, insects, perhaps dinosaurs, monkeys, and apes. And then in distinction from those animals, on that same sixth day, God made man out of the dust of the ground. And He breathed into man so that man became a living soul. First male, and then female, out of man's rib, both of which He created in His own image. This is history. A history, a historical record, more accurate than any other historical record that man has written. The Holy Spirit inspired it. God created in six literal 24-hour days by the word of His mouth. And he said, it is good, very good. And this record reveals, this is the true God, the only one. You and I don't have an option to believe some other God besides this Creator God. What we have here is history. Children, His Story. Not a story from a storybook, but his record of what happened. That is the clear genre of Genesis 1. I bring up that word genre for purpose. If you turn the pages of the Bible, you can find in Daniel and you can find in Revelation a different genre called apocalyptic genre, where you find many pictures. Many visions that are not literal history, but pictures, clearly symbolic. Because the Bible says so, they are symbolic. If you turn to the book of the Psalms, you find a different genre called poetry. And you read it, you can hear even the cadence. It's a song, poetry. And what you find here in Genesis 1 is not apocalyptic. What you find here in Genesis 1, beloved, is not poetry. But what you find here in Genesis 1 is what you find, the same kind of genre you find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you know what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what kind of genre that is. That's history. That's history of the gospel, we say. That's a historical record inspired by God of what Jesus had done historically how He died on Friday. On the third day, He rose again. Don't forget that. And the same genre in the New Testament of history we find here in Genesis 1. I make that point and make that emphasis because many Christians influenced by the unbelieving idea of evolution try to argue that Genesis 1 is poetry or semi-poetic. Beloved, that's a bull-faced lie. I say that in love for you. 
And I'll point that out specifically because I know some of you young people will face this in your college classes. I point out one evidence that this is history. You will notice in chapter 1 that almost all the verses and sentences begin with the word and. And that should strike you because normally when you read in the English language and when you go to English grammar classes, the English teacher will tell you when you write a paper, you don't usually at least begin the sentence with the word and. And yet you find and, and, and. And the earth was without form and void. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God made, and, and, and. Here's why. Because in the Hebrew language, and in Hebrew grammar, the and is purposefully put there to indicate the genre. And when you see the repeated and, it's a conjunction to tell you this is history. These are consecutive That's the word and. Consecutive events that happened in order in history. This order. And Bible teachers of Christian colleges today are simply lying. They're dishonest. When they know the Hebrew grammar. And they say it's poetry. It's not. In addition to that, God says days. And yes, it is true that the word day in the Hebrew language can be used in other places as a period of time longer than a 24-hour day. But whenever the word day is used, here's the point, with an ordinal number, first, second, third, It always refers to a 24-hour day. Not lengthy periods of time. Genesis 1 is history. To show us not only that God created, but how He created, how long He took. Not only is this historical truth Beloved, this is historical truth which all believers from Adam and Eve onward throughout the Scriptures unto the Apostle John in Revelation. This is the historical record they believed. Turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 defines faith for us. You should know that passage, many of you by heart, Hebrews 11 is extremely important, though often minimized by Christians today who want to hold to evolution. In Hebrews 11, we find the first verse defining faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There, the first verse defines faith as assurance. Repeating that word, though not appearing in the English language, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. And what Hebrews goes on to say, as you know, is to show the faith, show the faith of many of God's people 
going through the history of the different, different people and time, in the Bible times, those with true faith. And this is what I want to point out to you from Hebrews 11. That before Hebrews 11 details for us the specific believers, the heroes of faith, it brings up the one doctrine that shows what these believers held to. What did all the believers hold to? Verse 3. Through faith, we, all the believers of Scripture, all the believers in whom the Spirit work, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Beloved, the cloud of witnesses which lived during Bible times and which are now in heaven, the cloud of witnesses believed. They confess we believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. And it didn't mean by that evolver, but what Genesis 1 said. And this is what many people in this world are saying today in Christian churches. Well, Moses may have believed it. Abraham may have believed it. Noah, David, Isaiah, Nehemiah, Peter, John, Paul. But I'm smarter today. That's foolish. That's the foolishness of unbelief. Moses wrote Genesis 1, believing every word of it. Isaiah says in Isaiah 44, 40, 24, Thus saith the Lord, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Isaiah believed in this Creator God. Nehemiah 9, verse 6, Thou, even Thou art Lord God alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. Psalm 33 that we sang in versification of, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. For He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Paul in his preaching to the smartest of men of his day in Athens didn't shy away from this doctrine. God God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. The church of the New Testament confessed together, Acts 4.24, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is. Jesus, in His teaching on marriage in Matthew 19, He answered and said unto them, Have you not read that He which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And those are just a few of the passages that show us all the believers in Scripture believed in God the Father, Almighty Maker. While all the scientists in this world may point you out as foolish not to believe in evolution, I say it is far more foolish not to believe in what God says. What He by His Spirit has worked in the hearts of all His people to believe. 
So important is this doctrine that at stake is every other doctrine of Holy Scripture. Young people, you're going to school again soon. Let's say you enter into history class. On the first day of class, your teacher tells you to turn to the first chapter, the first part of the book, and then proceeds in that first class regarding the first chapter to point out to you all the different errors and inaccuracies in the first chapter of that book. This would be your reaction. Your, your confidence in the entire book and the accuracy of it would diminish. You would say, teacher, sh- shouldn't we think about getting a, a, a new book, a different book with more reliable history, something more trustworthy than this? In the first, the very first chapter, we found ten different errors. Beloved, when professors and teachers and people in the church take the history book of God, and they say, well, we can believe everything else in the Bible, but the, f- the first chapter, first few chapters maybe, here's some errors. It didn't actually happen this way. That is what happens in the hearts of God's people. There is doubt. Man... seeks to make God's Word lose its credibility. I only have time to show you a few examples of how quickly the other doctrines of Scripture crumble. Think of Exodus 20 that we read this morning, the fourth commandment. Keep the Sabbath day holy. What's the basis of the fourth commandment? Why keep the Sabbath day holy? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. You see, when you throw out the record of creation in six days, you have to throw out the basis of the fourth commandment and the fourth commandment itself. You've taken away the very framework that God is using, the structure of the week to teach us to rest on the Sabbath after six days of work. In Matthew 19, Jesus argues for marriage is a lifelong bond between one man and one woman. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Why? For this cause, Jesus says, this is why. This is why marriage is lifelong, and this is why marriage is between one man and one woman. He bases his teaching upon the literal history of Genesis 1. Have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? That's why. That's why no divorce, except it be for the cause of fornication. That's why no remarriage. That's why a man may not marry a man and a woman may not marry a woman. Because of the creation ordinance. And then if you turn to Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, you'll study that on your own. 
In Romans 5 and Romans and 1 Corinthians 15, Paul argues that Jesus is the second Adam. Listen carefully, young people, to this part, because it is claimed today that the doctrine of creation is not a salvation issue. But in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, here is Paul's argument that the first Adam, who was created in the beginning, represented mankind and brought death. And directly connected to that teaching found in Genesis 1-3 through is the teaching of the second Adam, who as the first Adam represented us and brought life. Those two teachings are intimately connected in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. By one man came death, by the second Adam came life. When the theory of evolution and theistic evolutionists comes as believed, it demolishes the argument of Paul in Romans 5 then we don't really know where death came from, for death then had to be before the first Adam. And sin must have been before him. And Adam was not a representative of mankind. And the first Adam was no representative of mankind to bring death. Then it may not be either that the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is a representative of us to bring life. If that first Adam is not where sin came from and death, then there is doubt brought of the second Adam to bring salvation from sin and to give us eternal life. Tip that first domino, so to speak. Destroy the first chapter and all the doctrines it may take some time, but all the doctrines are knocked over. The inspiration of Scripture, the Sabbath day, marriage, and the very gospel of Jesus Christ as the second Adam, like unto the first Adam, to represent us and save us from death unto life. But now in the second point here, I bring you to the main doctrine which Genesis 1 supports. The main doctrine that Genesis 1 supports, that if Genesis 1 and the doctrine of God as the Creator is denied, this main doctrine is compromise. And that is the doctrine of God's omnipotence. That God is almighty. That very simply. Children, God is strong. God is almighty. And the point of the Apostles' Creed and the point of Scripture and the point of God in teaching us the literal history of creation is to make this very point 
God is Almighty. He is saying with creation, I reveal to you, I am strong. And so, to remove, to weaken the doctrine of creation is also to diminish the power of God. I remember a respectable professor in my Christian college arguing that theistic evolution doesn't really diminish God's power. And then he proceeded to point to how other, other facts in Scripture could also reveal God's power. The doctrine of God's power didn't rely on creation. But that's not the point. The point is that God's very purpose, His very intent of creation was to reveal how powerful He was and is. Exactly so that He might impress upon your heart and the hearts of all of His people, I am strong and strong to help and save you also. This is what God's Word shows us was God's purpose in creating this way. Romans 1.20 The invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Why did God create in this way? Romans 1 says, the Spirit says, to show you, to reveal to you the eternal power of God. Isaiah 40, to impress upon proud man the power of God, says, To whom then will he liken me? Or shall I be equal? saith the Holy One, lift up your eyes on high. Behold, who hath created these things, and bringeth their hosts out by number? The argument of Isaiah to explain how God is different from everyone and how He is powerful is that He is the Creator and we are the creature. And when God's people confess the truth of God's power and express their reliance on Him, our help, every service, is in the name of Jehovah. We add to that, as Scripture does, the reason we believe God is so powerful to help us. Who made the heavens and the earth, Psalm 124. If God is Almighty Maker, then I can trust His power to help me, to care for me, he speaks, and it's done. If I believe in a God who is a great evolver, it might take millions and billions of years for Him to help me and save me. You see, Creation is the great demonstration of God's power and His power to help 
to save? Is He able, people of God, to govern all things, to provide you all things necessary for soul and body, to turn all evils to your advantage, as the Catechism says? Is He able? Yes, for He spoke and it was done, commanded and it stood fast. If He created with so great a power, then yes, He is able also to create in me a clean heart. If He's able, if He's able to create as He did in the beginning out of the dust of the ground, then He's able too to create or to raise me, my body from the dust in the final resurrection. But if He didn't create in that way, then there's doubt brought to the power of God in my salvation and in His care of me. So, beloved, I call you this evening on the basis of Scripture, His story, His story, His account. Believe in the omnipotent, the almighty God who reveals His omnipotence by creation. Embrace Him with your heart as almighty God. And with that, your Father in Jesus Christ. I believe you say not only an almighty maker of heaven and earth, but in Father, Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. Father, you say, and by that you mean Father of Jesus Christ. That's the catechism. The eternal Father of Jesus Christ. There's the Gospel. That the eternal Father of Jesus Christ looks upon you and me in Him from the foundations of the world even. He has chosen us in Jesus Christ. He's had an eternal love for you, seeing you as washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Covered you in His righteousness. And therefore, He is not only able, you see, as creation reveals, save you to do all things for your advantage, but He is willing Willing, being your Father. And those who believe this, Father, Almighty Maker, may know that when He said, let there be light, He created light to shine for your advantage. When he said, let there be the sky and the ground and the plants and the heavenly bodies and the fish and the birds and the animals and Adam and Eve and all things thereafter, he created all that with you in mind for your advantage as an expression of his love. And all that he created, he governs for you and never against you. And one day, one day, this creation, yes, this creation that He has made for you, He will renew, 
He will purify to make it an even better creation than there was in the beginning for Adam and Eve. Not so, not simply so that you might have pleasure in it, but so that you might glorify this God, the Almighty Creator, and your Father in Jesus Christ. Believe in this God, the only God. Have you heard His Word? His Word echoes 6,000 years ago, it echoes to us presently today. Let there be light. And the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness doth shine also in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.